Now we give a warm welcome to everyone to evening worship today, both those here in the building and to those who are joining uh, with us online. <coughs> Let's begin our worship by singing to God's praise in Psalm 145. It's the second version on page 444 of the Psalter. It's at the beginning of the song, O Lord, thou art my God and King. Thee will I magnify and praise. I will thee bless and gladly sing, and to thy holy name always. Each day I rise, I will thee bless and praise thy name time without end. Much to be praised and great God is. His greatness none can comprehend. We'll sing verses 1 to 4 of Psalm 145. O Lord, thou art my God and King. <clears throat> join together in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we pray that each of us would be able to utter the words of this song with sincerity and with truth. O Lord, thou art my God and King. 
But we realise that we cannot say that, that you are our God, but for the fact that you moved first into our experience. We acknowledge that you are our Creator. We acknowledge that you have watched over us and sustained us all our days. And for that we must bow in worship and adoration this night. But we are here who can acknowledge that you are our Redeemer, that you are our Saviour, that you are our friend. And that's because you first reached out towards us whilst we were yet sinners. Christ died for the ungodly. No wonder the psalmist goes on to say that there are things about you that we cannot comprehend. We are limited in our knowledge, but we thank you for the knowledge that we have uh, this night. We thank you for a saving uh, knowledge. And the psalmist talks there about your dreadful acts, and we understand that to mean your awesome acts. And it is utterly awesome that sinners and rebels such as we are should have the prospect of being around your throne eternally in spotless holiness. But that, alas, ultimately is down to you and you alone. Even the faith that is required for salvation is a gift that you give so that no man can boast. And yet, boast we do. So often we are so full of pride and arrogance and independence. But then things enter into our own experience and they knock the stuffing completely out of us and we realise that after reeling and staggering like one drunk and being at our wit's end, we realise that (coughs) you and you alone can take us to the haven. And therefore we should cry, Oh, that men to the Lord would give praise for his goodness then and for his works of wonder done unto the sons of men. We remember this night those who would be here if they could but who cannot, including elders of this congregation. We remember those who have been in hospital recently and who are recovering. We pray particularly this evening for Mackie Ross and pray that your hand will be upon him to restore <coughs> to health and strength. We remember the patient's family of this community who mourn the loss of a loved one. Again and again and again you are reminding us that here we have no continuing city that we must all move on. We remember some who are, by all accounts, drawing nigh to the end of life's journey. People we know and love. And we pray that you would help them. That in the hour of desolation they would remember this, that he will never leave. And he will never forsake. Even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. O Lord our God, help us to remember this, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Help us to remember that there is a wisdom of this world that is abject folly, and there is a wisdom that is of God that the world deems to be folly, but 
This wisdom of God is the power of salvation unto all them that believe. We thank you for the measure of that wisdom that you have shared with us. And we pray this night, not only for ourselves, but for our loved ones, wherever they might be. We do give thanks for, a, for family bonds. Our earnest prayer is that we will be undivided on the shores of eternity, that we will all be bound up in the bundle of the love that is found in the family that is Christ's. Remember us as a congregation as we traverse our way through a world that is so twisted and depraved. Remember those who are in authority in our land, who are just bent on evil and the destruction of all that is God-honoring. We pray that they would be removed and that you would raise up amongst us people who would fear the Lord. We reflect on how we have legislated even in recent days and we want to hide ourselves with shame. The Scotland that was known as the land of the book is to the fore in bringing down the structures that God has given us for the good of men and the honour of his name. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Please have mercy upon us and help us. Remember the church in this land that seems so often to be in such disarray and division. O Lord, help us once more in this sphere as well. We pray that you be with us now as we seek to engage in this act of worship. We come as sinners, that we come to the thrice holy God who is interested in sinners. And we thank you that that's the way it is. And we pray that you be with us and bless us. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's sing again to the God's praise. It's the same song, Psalm 145, the second verse in that verse 7. That's page 444 of the, of the Psalter. They utter shall abundantly the memory of thy goodness great, and shall sing praises cheerfully whilst they thy righteousness relate. The Lord our God is gracious, compassionate is he also. In mercy he is plenteous, but unto wrath and anger slow. We'll sing verses 7 to 12. They utter shall abundantly the memory of thy goodness great. <coughs>
Now let's read God's Word first of all in the book of Genesis and at chapter 15 and we'll read at the beginning of the chapter. After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half and laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that day they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgasites, and the Jebusites. And we'll read again in uh, 1 Corinthians at the beginning of chapter 1. 1 Corinthians and at chapter 1. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ both their Lord and ours grace to you 
and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you are enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarrelling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, that the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen. And may God bless to us that reading from his word. Let's join together again in prayer. 
O Lord our God, as we read these passages of Scripture, it just reminds us once again that salvation is absolutely and utterly a gift from you. 100%. We realize that as Abraham lived these 4,000 years ago in the southern area of modern-day Iraq, in a very religious community, you entered in and he became aware of the secret of the Lord. He became aware of a covenant that he participated in. And that's the way it is with every single one of us who know you this night. In a world that is sinful, with hearts that are sinful, you enter in and you manifest to us the secret of the Lord. You enter in to a bond, a covenant, a relationship with us. And we thank you that's the way it is. And we think of that passage in Corinthians where Paul was called by you and indeed all of the people were called. They heard the effectual call of the gospel but only because it is your call and a call that you can make effectual. And we pray that we would remember that not many mighty and not many noble and not many of the powerful people of this world have been used as instruments in your hands, but you have used those who are of naught to bring to naught those who think that they are influential and powerful. This is part of the mystery of the workings of God amongst the human race. We feel so helpless and we feel so hopeless and we feel so incapable at times. But you take into your hands a man like Saul of Tarsus, a bitter enemy, a ruthless sinner, and you work on him and mould him and shape him and fashion him into one of the greatest preachers and evangelists the world has ever known. This is the doing of the Lord. And this is wondrous in our eyes. And what you make of any of us is the doing of the Lord. And it is wondrous in our eyes. So we ask you to come in amongst us this night and help us. To enable us to be blessed by your presence. And wherever your church is gathered across the globe this night. We pray that you would be in the midst to bless particularly in places that are war-torn and devastated. But the reality is this. We don't need to go to war-torn, devastated places to find broken hearts and people that are really struggling. They're among us. They're on our doorstep. Perhaps we are one of the very people we are talking about. But you are who you are. And you are our only hope. Please have mercy on us. And please help us. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Let's continue in the same song. 145, second verse. And at verse 13, it's page 445 of the Psalter. Thy kingdom hath none end at all. It doth through ages all remain. The Lord upholdeth all that fall. The cast down raiseth up again. The eyes of all things, Lord, attend, and on the way that here do live, and thou in season do descend sufficient food them 
victory leave. We'll sing verses 13 to 18. Thy kingdom hath none end at all. Let's turn to Psalm 25, and we'll read again at verse 14. I'm going to read it in the first version of uh, the Scottish Psalter. That's page 232 of the Psalter. With those that fear him is the secret of the Lord. The knowledge of his covenant he will to them afford. Now let's, by God's enabling, seek to explore something of this <coughs> area of Scripture. Now you will have picked up on it that uh, I've been going through this psalm for some time now. We've had a break over the Christmas period and uh, we're returning to it now. But you will have noticed that I have not moved on to the next area 
uh, which would have been verse 13. And the reason I haven't is I just found it too difficult to work on that area of Scripture. Whether I'm going to be able to come back to it or not, I really don't know. But I couldn't do it. So I have moved on to verse uh, 14. With those that fear him is the secret of the Lord. The knowledge of his covenant he will to them afford. And the first thing I want to do is to say a little bit about what it is to fear the Lord. Because I've said this recently. There are two different ways in which fear is used in scripture. Sometimes we say we are afraid and we are full of fear and it's down to abject terror. That's all it is. And um, is it right for a human being to be an abject terror of God? And uh, my answer to that would be yes, it is right. But then these things need qualified. If he's a God of grace, if he's a God of love, if he's a God of kindness, why on earth would we be really afraid of him? Well, he is a God of kindness, he's a God of love, he is a God of graciousness, but that is only part of what God is. God is also a just God. And he is a holy God and he cannot abide sin and he must deal with sin. And that is what the coming of Jesus of Nazareth into this world was all about. Because if sin is not dealt with in the person himself or herself, it needs to be dealt with in another person who is the same as that person. And that's who Jesus is. He is very God of very God, but he's very man of very man as well. You know, we were talking this morning about John the Baptist. Do you remember that when John the Baptist was baptizing people in the Jordan River, now one day in the queue of people that came up to be baptized in that river was Jesus of Nazareth. And John was totally taken aback when he saw Jesus in the queue. And John was basically saying, I'm not, I'm not doing this. And Jesus said to him, you are. And I think we understand why John wouldn't want to do it. Because baptism was a baptism of repentance for the remission of what? Sin. The glory of John the Baptist's message was this. You can be the greatest sinner in the world. God has done something about it. And what God has done about it is symbolized in the event of baptism. It's about the washing away of sin. That's what John was into. But here is Jesus of Nazareth, and he knows who Jesus of Nazareth is. He knew all along who Jesus of Nazareth was at one level because they were second cousins. But it's interesting, we're told that John didn't fully know who Jesus was in terms of Jesus' messiahship 
and saviourhood but God revealed it to him and when God reveals it to John the Baptist there's no stopping him he's really into preaching and he's really into baptising and there are thousands coming to him and he's being used as a mighty instrument in the hand of God but here right now is Jesus of Nazareth and he knows a good deal about him it's been revealed to him by the spirit of God and I'm not baptising you and Jesus is saying yes you are and you're thinking why on earth would Jesus do that because he has no sin or does he have sin and here is the heart of the gospel he does have sin that's why he's baptized and he does have sin that's why he's crucified but it's not his own sin it's your sin and it's my sin and that's what it's all about the stooping of Jesus and the stooping of the eternal God to do something for people like you and I is utterly and absolutely uh, astonishing utterly and absolutely astonishing but there are people who will have none of it and we saw that this morning the Pharisees and the lawyers were having nothing to do with it and so you have people in this world who are sinners and they're in the presence of a holy God and they're going to meet this God at the great white throne of judgment and if people are going to meet God and Christ hasn't taken their sins they're still in their sins is it right for them to be afraid? absolutely absolutely is it right for them to be in terror absolutely but here's the thing they don't need to be afraid they don't need to be in terror there has been something done that will take it all away but they've not gone down that road and so I think it's right for people outside of Christ to be in terror to be in terror and we go to that area of scripture where the fear where um, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God and if you put that into context it's about the judgment of God it is a fearful thing but then there's this other use of this word fear in scripture and it's, a, it's not negative, it is positive, it's wholesome, it's good. And, the, and, and you could replace the word fear with the word reverence or respectful. When people are reverential and respectful, they listen to God, they go along with what God says, they accept his way of salvation they give God the honour that he is due. And that is summed up in these words. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know there are two types of wisdom mentioned in that passage in Corinthians that we've just been reading. 
One is the wisdom that comes from God, it's the wisdom of salvation we might say, and the other is the wisdom of this world. And the wise people of this world look at what God has done and they think it's absolute folly. But it's not folly. It's not folly. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and there is a real wisdom in respecting and in reverencing a God. But we are told in this uh, verse that with those that fear him is the secret of the Lord. Now what on earth is the secret of the Lord. Well, you know, in Hebrew poetry, you get many things that are said one way and then they're repeated another way. And I think that that's what's happening here because it goes on to say, the knowledge of this covenant he will to them afford. In other words, let me put it like this, the secret of the Lord and the knowledge of his covenant are bound up and are one and the same thing. And I want to use as an illustration of that what went on in the life of Abraham in Old Testament times and what went on in the life of uh, Paul, the Apostle, in New Testament times. Remember that 4,000 years ago in southern Iraq, there lives this man, Abraham, and it's a very uh, religious community. I'm not saying it's a God-fearing community because it was not. And I mean by God-fearing, there's one great living and true God. But there were many gods worshipped in, 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 um, in Arath Chaldeans at the time Abraham was they in particular they were into the worship of the moon you see people that worship the moon and people that worship the stars and people that worship the sun you think if you see if you see the sun on a glorious day it, it does something to you it just brings you to life even it just it just entices physical life even. It just does something to a human being. I think it does it to the animals as well, but we'll stick with the human beings at the moment. And I can see quite clearly how somebody would want to worship this object. Not only is it true of ourselves, but in terms of crops, and, and, and growth and the provision of food it's all linked to this to the sun and you can see how people could get into that and it's the same with the moon if you look up on a clear night at the moon it does something to you and you know this is a strange thing about the moon you can be here you can be in Australia you can be in New Zealand you can be all over the world and you look up at night and it's the same the moon can make you really homesick. There's just something about it. And you can see why people can be into that. And you know, in ancient times, they were into the river. And Well, I, it's not just in ancient times. They do it now. The Ganges is a sacred r- river. 
And you can see, for example, in, uh, in Egypt, the Nile, they, they made the association, the Nile produces the water that we need for the crops, and we need the crops to live, and so they worship the God of the Nile. But the thing about all these acts of religion is that they don't go back far enough. Because the rivers and the moon and the sun and the stars, it's all part of the creation of the one great living and true God. And so here is this man and his family, and they're in what we would call a very religious community, and God comes to Abraham, and God speaks to Abraham, and God tells Abraham, you've got to get out of here. And of course Abraham does have choices. And his choice is either to listen or not to listen. And we know what his choice was. He listened but he didn't just give it a bare listening. He acted upon his listening. In other words what he believed of this God took effect in his life. And he's away up to the what we would call today the southern border of Turkey up to Haran. And later on he will move from here and down into what today we will call Israel, but then was called Canaan. And you think, what on earth is going on there? What is going on there? Well, what went on there was that there was a covenant made between Abraham and God. God will be Abraham's God, and Abraham will be God's man. Now it's not as if they're coming at this on equal terms. It's not as if they're sitting down and are coming to a, a, um, an agreement on equal levels. It's not like that. This is the eternal God. And this is a poor wretched sinner. It is a real stooping down on the part of God. But that's the way God is. And that's the way it works. And that's the way it uh, happens. Now you might well ask, well, what all did God say to Abraham? What all was involved in this? Well, we've read some of what you've just said. He's given promises. He's given promises that his children will be as many as the stars of the heavens and as many as the sand and the seashore. And he's given promises about kings coming from him. And he's given promises about the land belonging to his people. And he's given the ultimate promise in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. But what else was involved in this? Well, the answer to that is we don't really know, but we can work out some of it. We can work out some of it. Because Jesus himself said, Abraham saw my day, and he rejoiced in it. Isn't that astonishing? That 2,000 years before Christ is in this world, somehow or other Abraham saw it all and he accepted. What did he see and what did he accept? He saw and he accepted, I think we can put it in a nutshell like this, he saw and accepted God's way of saving people. Or someone might well say, well how much did he know? Look, we don't know how much he knew. You know, Psalm 22 was written a thousand years before Jesus was in this world. King David wrote it. 
And we might ask this question, did King David's understanding of the salvation of his soul come down to the fine detail of knowing that his Saviour would be nailed to a cross at Calvary? I doubt it. I doubt it. But it's there in black and white. They pierced my hands and feet. And we can speculate all day long the extent of what Abraham knew and the extent of what David knew or the extent of what any Old Testament saint knew. We know this much that Jesus' word is that Abraham was gloriously saved. He rejoiced in Christ's day. He saw it by the eye of faith and he absolutely rejoiced in it. What happened between Abraham and God? God gave him a secret. You know, we talk about the general call of the gospel. People hear about Jesus. They hear in so many ways. They hear through preaching. They hear through reading the word of God. They hear through people who are believers speaking to them. They hear so much about Jesus. And in that speaking and in that preaching and everything else that goes on, there's a call that goes out. But for a lot of people it falls on deaf ears. But there's another kind of call and that's called effectual calling. And effectual calling is where it finds a response. It's where the seed enters in the soil and something happens. And there's a great mystery there. You know, these farmers that sow their seed, their potatoes or their wheat or their barley, they put it into the soil and, you know, let's take a potato, the potato, it dies. But you get 15 new potatoes. How does it all work? Not a farmer in the Black Isle will be able to tell you that. Nobody. It's the doing of God. And a great, they will be able to tell you some aspects of it. But not everything. There's mystery attaching to it. And it's the same on the spiritual realm. How does it all work? Well, some of it we just don't know how it works, but it does. There's a general call of the gospel, and there's an effectual calling of God, of the gospel. And it does something to people. What does it do to people? Well, look at Abraham. He's out of Ar of the Chaldeans. He's away up to Haran. And later on, he will be away down to Canaan. In other words, he heard what God had to say. He, we, are, we are not told everything that went on between himself and God. But he listened and he believed and that was counted to him as righteousness. He believed God. And you see, this belief in God wasn't just intellectual assent. It manifested itself in the way he lived and what he did. And it will always do that for people that are genuine believers. You can see it in their lives. You can see it. So what is the secret of the Lord? The secret of the Lord is to be in covenant with him. And what is this covenant all about? Well, astonishingly, it's about this. I look after you all your days and life's journey. But it doesn't end there. We are heirs of God and we are joint heirs with Christ. And this is an astonishing truth. 
that in terms of justification, the way God sees his people right now is as if they are as holy as Christ and as righteous as Christ. Because this great substitutionary atonement is about our sins being given to Christ and his righteousness being given to us. Now I know in terms of day-to-day living, we don't feel as if we're spotlessly sinless. But we've got to make sure that we know the difference between justification and sanctification. But that is the astonishing thing about the secret about the secret of the Lord. Now I must move on to speak a little bit about um, about Paul. Listen to this at the very beginning. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. Who was Paul? He was Saul of Tarsus. Was he religious? He was very religious. He had the best education that the system of the day could afford him. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel. And what did his religion do for him? Well, it did this. He wanted to strangle the church of Jesus Christ whilst it was still in the cradle. That's what he wanted to do. And that's what he did. That's what he was about. And here's the frightening thing. He thought in doing that he was honouring God. He's engaged in unspeakable evil. And he thinks he's honouring God. But you know, you get it. There's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. We've got it in this country of ours right now. You know, there are these people who are transgender and we've got to deal with them with compassion and we've got to deal with them with sympathy and we've got to allow them to go down the road that they want to go down. There is no compassion and there is no sympathy in allowing them to go down the road that they want to go down. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be compassionate and sympathetic. Do you know, Jordan Peterson is probably more well-read than anybody else in the face of the globe about these issues. And what he will say about this kind of thing is this. You will have compassion that may, he, he, he does not say will, that may help one of these people. But for everyone you may help, you will destroy a thousand others. That's the way it is, and that is the reality of it. And we may have those in positions of power in our land today who are saying, we are being very sympathetic and we are being very compassionate. No, you are not. No, you are not. Where you have the fear of God and you listen to God, the God who created us and he tells us how to live for our own benefit and our own blessing, that's real compassion. That's real concern. But here was the Apostle Paul or Saul of Tarsus and he thought he was doing the right thing in just eliminating the New Testament church. But you know something happened to him. What happened to him? He was called. What kind of calling? General call. 
effectual calling. What happens to him on the road to Damascus? Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Who are you? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And what happens to Saul of Tarsus? He gets to know the secret of the Lord. Or to put it another way, he enters into covenant with this God. And and somebody that enters into covenant with God and knows the secret of the Lord. What is it that Saul of Tarsus or he becomes Paul the Apostle? What is he what how does he react? What do you want me to do, Lord? You see, his whole focus now is tell me God how to live. Tell me what's road to go on. Tell me what's honouring to you. Tell me what's beneficial to me. Because now he knows the secret of the Lord. But it's not just Paul who knows the secret of the Lord. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. They've all been called. And those that are believers have been effectually called. And they're in the same boat as Saul of Tarsus. The secret of the Lord has been made manifest to them. In verse 9, listen to this. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, we use the word church. And the church comes from a Greek word, ecclesia. And the word ecclesia basically means called out. The real church of God are those people in this world who have been called out by God. Called out by Him to be part of knowing the secret of the Lord and to be in covenant with Him. And so there are these two fears. A fear of terror and a fear that is reverential. And it's spoken of here with those that fear him. The reverential fear is the secret of the Lord. The knowledge of his covenant he will to them afford. You and I here tonight, I hope that we're all believers. But if we are, and I hope we are, We are because it's the doing of the Lord. He's the one who calls. He's the one who gives us his secret. He's the one who is behind this covenant that is going to seal our destiny for all eternity. You know, this song is about how we worship God. It is so easy in a world saturated with religions to get caught up in it all. And even to be part of what we might call Christian religion and to call ourselves Christians and to just be going through the outward rituals of it all and for it to be missing on the inside. How does the song begin? Although my... um, I, I think I'm back on, on, Psalm, on Psalm 103. To thee I lift my soul. In Psalm 103, O oh, oh, thou my soul, bless God the Lord. Both these songs are about 
the heart of worship. It's a soul thing. Now of course our souls govern the activities and the actions of our bodies and and, and yes we, we we take our we come here with our bodies on a on the Lord's day to worship God, so there's this interconnection between body and soul. But we can have the outward without the inward. But hopefully we are here tonight to engage with God at a spiritual level. That our souls are indeed involved in it. But our souls are only really involved in it. Because like Abraham of old, God has come to us. And he has manifested a secret. And he has entered into covenant with us. It is all of God. It is all of grace. And that's why we must bow all over again tonight. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord our God, we thank you that you've done what you've done. We thank you that you are merciful towards sinners such as we are. And we pray that you would give us the grace on a daily basis to respond to your kindness to us in a way that is befitting. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's conclude by singing to God's praise in Psalm number 92. It's at verse 12. It's on page 353 of the Psalter. But like the palm tree flourishing shall be the righteous one. He shall like to the cedar grow that is in Lebanon. Those that within the house of God are planted by his grace. They shall grow up and flourish all. In our God's holy place, we'll sing to the end of the song from verse 12, but like the palm tree flourishing shall be the righteous one.
Now may grace, mercy, and peace from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest on and abide with each one. 